the 9642 podcast. This is your host, Mr. Number 9. And this is The Fool. Hello, everyone. What a last, what a great couple of days it has yeah. been. Um, at time of recording, we ha- we know our two uh, finalists for the 2021 T- World T20. And hopefully and, the time of listening as well, because I should yeah. put this up pretty quickly. Excellent. So it's an all-Oceania final, uh, yeah. finals. It's the Oceania century, obviously. Yes. Um, obviously heralded by the fact that the first ever ICC title that was up... Uh, that uh, uh, in this century was won by New Zealand. There yeah. you go. <laughs> so clearly. Uh, and now both these teams are in a, in their uh, second uh, second ICC final together. Um, no no need to go back to what happened the last time these two teams met. How's, no. Do we? We don't need I to t- go back there. I don't think so. I think it's... Um... Well documented, I think is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that's Australia here, so we can hopefully write some of those demons. But I think, as you said previously, and it's very true that the 2015 World Cup, Australia played really well in the final. They deserved it, and that's about all. Like it was, they always say to win a final, you got to lose a final, and that very much was the final that we lost. Like. Yeah. And then we lost in 2019 as well. Well. Didn't win the trophy. <laughs> if you don't win, you lose. Yeah. Uh, matter of definitions. Right. Uh, like you and I are football people. If you lose on penalties, you still lose. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I understand. I do understand it. Just yeah. And still hurts a little bit. And we've already, and if Australia do win, we can always say that oh, we've already won a trophy. We felt bad for you. Yeah, yeah. And the trophy we won, obviously, is the more important trophy. It's definitely the more important trophy. Like, it's the first. You can never have your first ever again. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, we. it's been an interesting two sets of matches. Let's... Like, obviously, we're going to analyze it a bit. Um, but, yeah, no surprises. The teams that won the toss and, ba- and bowled first ended up uh, winning. Surprise. Are we yeah. surprised? No. Um, especially not with the New Zealand-England game. I That was my thought all the way through. It was going to be... It was a matter of winning the toss. Win the toss, win the game. Um, I didn't see... I thought it would be close enough that it mattered. I thought perhaps in the Pakistan-Australia game that Pakistan might have enough to, to be able to defend. Um, as it turned out. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't... They didn't have enough to overcome the, the bat second... Um, benefits but yeah so leading into it I thought maybe but then again i wasn't that surprised that it didn't happen because it's such a big benefit as you say yeah so if i if we look at it i think when i was watching it because i was up from about two in the more two forty-five in the morning till the match was over yeah. um when england got what they got i thought our oh, new zealand uh, sorry when new zealand got what they got Sorry, not it was the New Zealand, but it was New Zealand's chasing. So when England got what they want, beg your pardon, I thought England didn't quite go hard enough at the beginning. 
But yeah. I thought that that's a score. If England's going to defend a score, that's about right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because T20s are a weird sort of game where if it's a, an actually a, a bigger t uh, target, uh, teams have the right mindset when chasing. Like, they know they can't consolidate. They just go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you lose more of these games trying to consolidate and, you know, uh, not go hard enough than the other way around. Uh, so when uh, 166, I was like, okay, this is going to be a challenging total for New Zealand to chase, but it's definitely chaseable. I think New Zealand are favorites at that point. When we lost two wickets in the first two overs, I was like, okay, maybe it's not chaseable anymore for New yes, Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> I think two wickets in the first three overs is the equivalent of getting an extra 50 runs on your total easy, when defending. Easy, yeah. Um, but, uh, when I, uh, so at that point I were basically start, uh, was like, cause I was working out at that point. And, uh, when I went to take my shower, Conway was still getting himself in and yeah. Daryl Mitchell didn't look like he was in good Nick. Uh, and then I went, got, had a shower, got changed into the teal kit, obviously. And... Obviously. Uh, brewed a cup, uh, brewed a jar of coffee, went back up, and I saw it was tenth over, uh, about twelfth over, and Conway and uh, um, uh, Conway and Mitchell were still there, and they got us to about ninety odd, and I was like, well, okay, six overs, uh, uh, six overs, night, uh, about sixty-ish or sixty seventy runs. That, that's doable. That's a game. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I was no longer like panicking i was like okay yeah. this is doable and then conway got out and i was like all right we'll see what happens from here and then uh because they were planning to try and hit liam livingston and that didn't work um yeah. but then obviously jimmy nisham had his over and i was just like yeah no worries this it's done yeah like after that first nisham over even though nisham got out in the second over he was uh in the last ball of the second over i was kind of like that's a free hit you know, we have wickets in hand and you went for a big hit. That's exactly yeah, yeah. what you're meant to do on the last ball of a big chase. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, given there is already a set batsman from higher up the order on the other end for you, there's no reason for you to bat out a block or, you know. Yeah, if you yeah. get a single, obviously get the single, but, you know, go for the big hit. Like, it's a free hit. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, um, Hearing um, Nisham afterwards, he did feel bad for himself afterwards, but once he'd got back to the shed and turned around and sort of looked to see what was happening, he realised, yeah, no, it was the right... Yeah, it wasn't executed well, but he was still in the right mindset, so it was okay. But yeah, I, he did say and that then... when he hit it and saw it going down the field, his throat, he was like, I've lost the game for New Zealand, and was like really dejected as he walked off the field. Yeah. But obviously he sparked something in... Mm. Um... Daryl Mitchell, who then closed the game beautifully and yeah. finished it off. Um, I nominated that it might be one of the clutchest white ball innings that any New Zealand batsman has played. Um, in a and if we're narrowing it down to white ball World Cups, yeah, definitely up there. I think. Uh, I think for me, uh, per se, that's this one, Chris Kane's century and the ICC. Uh, Champions Trophy final against oh, India yeah. back in 2000. Um, 
which was also a great chasing century. And yeah. uh, we, I think, Stephen Fleming's century against South Africa in the 2002 World Cup, which was in yeah. South Africa, which was a do-or-die game for New Zealand. It wasn't technically a knockout game, but yeah. uh, chasing... At, uh, okay, uh, a... It was a Duckworth Lewis 300 score reduced to a 300 score that got reduced by Duckworth Lewis, so they had to chase 240 in like 35 overs or something like that. So it was yeah. still a very tough. And this is before the big before T20 was a thing. So nowadays we would go, yeah, that's well doable. There's 20 games which go to 240. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forget 30 of the games. <laughs> but this was before then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so those were those come to mind, but to me, yeah, I oh obviously Grant Elliott's eighty in the semi-final of the two thousand fifteen yeah, yeah, yeah. World Cup. Those are like it now. It's in that pantheon. Whether it's best or not, it's going to be what flavor you like, yeah, and you don't like, but it's up there in that pantheon. Oh, also, or Ross Taylor century against Pakistan in Palakili in two thousand eleven World Cup. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good as well. Which was another clutch. Performance, but so those are the. That's to me the great World Cup innings for New Zealand, like clutch yeah. under pressure, especially you know chasing down against it. Um, that, that all. Uh, what I particularly liked about Daryl Mitchell's innings is that he did struggle at the beginning. He was not connecting the ball well. He was like kind of just aiming, and in fact, Devin Conway looked like the better set batsman, and he looked like the guy who had to bat deep and close the innings out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he found another gear eventually, and he j didn't panic. He just ex just waited patiently till it came, and when it came, it came big. And as yeah, Simon exactly. Tool said, that big boy energy came out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's the end result. I think England. There's a lot to dissect about what they did. Like. Not getting enough runs at the beginning, yeah, I don't think necessarily there was enough runs at all to get. I think New Zealand would have batted very differently if the target was different and yeah. would have played around with the batting order differently if the target was different. Um, that uh, Now, the key over everybody's going to say is obviously that, because uh, at first it looked like the key over might have been that Liam Livingston over where he got Conway and only conceded three runs, like yeah. obviously fantastic over. And then that's a great over. He, and given he's the fifth bowler, like that's like an incredible over yeah, for your yeah. get out of your fifth bowler. And he, um, the, uh, and then the overwrite, the overwrite after that was Chris Jordan's over, which Jimmy Neesham just caned him for like 25 runs. And the game was over at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it was incredibly tense to watch just because like there was that catch with the six. And then there was a yeah. ball that should have been caught with between the two fielders that didn't go. So England oh, lost. So I think that shows that when you're... Uh, unless you get... Unless the other team plays very poorly... So like you know you get five wickets in the in the power play and get them all out for like a very low score when chasing, yeah. unless you're getting that sort of luck with you. Um, if the uh, if you're defending a score title and the team is at least evenly matched with you, if even if they're slightly not as good as you are, even if they're about eighty percent as good as you are, yeah, you need everything to go right for you yeah, to yeah, win. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't afford to lose, like. 
to get unlucky. Like New Zealand, like Daryl, there's a lot made about Daryl Mitchell. He didn't. He accidentally got in the way of Adil Rashid, and he didn't take the run. Yeah. While the chase was still eight thirty-four of eighteen balls. But the thing is, like even I at that point when it was happening, I was kind of like, yeah, we've got this. It's all right, Daryl. Just chill. Just chill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I think and... was pretty much Daryl's point of view as well. Like afterwards, he's like, I didn't just, I didn't want to be that that guy that was the center of the controversy and everything. And it was like, it, it's fine. It's, we're still okay. So yeah, it didn't didn't feel like he it needed to be taken. He could be a bit laid back about it. And be like, yeah, it's fine. And then, yeah, him not taking it meant Nishim got to hit a yeah, couple exactly. more sixes. So, yeah, worked out for the best in the end. Yeah. Um, so, um, there's like, I think this is a team effort. Like, Daryl Mitchell deserves his man of the match and all that, but it was such a great team effort. I think Devin Conway's bat, that's exactly what you want a number four to do. Like, he came in yeah, under yeah. pressure, saw off the threat, and then basically up, got the tempo up of yeah. the game um which is why number four is the toughest position to bat so it's a bit of a we're gonna preview the game but yeah as we know Dal he is devin conway is uh injured for the mm. finals so that's gonna it's a big hit uh, for new zealand because i think he was the the guy to bat number four he's and been one of even, the he's been one of the better batters this tournament as well like 100 percent and super on form so it is a big commit and it's even worse because it was a self-inflicted injury he hit his bat on his yeah. when he got out he hit a he smacked his hand on his bat in, in frustration yeah. of getting out and then apparently that's what broke the bone so yeah i mean it happens we, he's yeah. a human being you know he had these things just are gonna yeah. happen and it's not like uh and nobody intends to get injured intentionally in no it's not <laughs> like especially it. if you're a sportsman yeah yeah, he didn't whack it yeah. that hard either, so it's obviously just one of those fluke things that just unlucky that he just got it. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh well. And the give, and like I think, given we haven't taken the old faithful and old reliable Ross Taylor in yeah. our squad, who would just slot in at number four if he was in the squad. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've. It's going to be difficult to see how that works, but we'll get into that. Uh, but Devin Conway, that's I think, like I said, that's a classic number four knock. Um, the Daryl Mitchell, like the fact that he's never opened before and he's showing this, he's just, you know, he's just had a great tournament. Yeah. He may never bat like this again or have these sort of performances again for the Black Caps, but I could feel him being, and I don't want to like over hype him because this is a, these are big shoes to fill like I could see him being a Nathan Astle type for the black caps and the white yeah. ball format an opener who can bowl useful medium pace like that's yeah. the Nathan Astle blueprint right yeah 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 uh, especially in T20s where if he's got a few variations and slower balls up his sleeve um, he could uh, because there is a T20 World Cup next year because you know that's normal the um <laughs> Uh, playing in Australia, they could, uh, they're da- they, uh, he could be quite useful on those pitches as a, yeah. uh, uh, as a slow medium pacer, uh, or a medium pacer rather. And the, um, yeah, uh, the, he's developed really well. Um, now the also, so I'd like to say that I think the. The performance of the win was also built by the bowlers. I think they did a really good job restricting England to 167. Yeah. 
Um, Tim Saudi was a bit more expensive uh, than he. Sorry, not Tim Saudi. Trent Bolt was a bit more expensive than he usually is. Um, And that happens. He had like a shocker in the death. And like when you're a death bowler, those things happen, like as Chris Jordan found out. He didn't Um, even get a wicket, which was a little bit disappointing. Normally, Trent Bolt's good for a wicket, but. yeah. Sometimes those those innings happened, but so it. But I think this is like the old reliables. Tim Saudi and Ish yeah. Sodi were just on point on form. Um, Tim uh, Saudi, the Milne. I could. Oh. I think it's not unfair to say Adam Milne's the fifth bowler in that lineup. Uh, even though he's a specialist bowler, you know what I mean. Like yeah. I think Mitchell Santner is considered to be a more reliable operator. In that bowling tender line, even oh, though he yeah. only got the one over because of the matchup thing, and yeah, that drives yeah. me insane. Like that could have been like I think Ashwin pointed out, like you know, they make it as though like, he had a tweet which kind of worked out, like as if Mitchell Santner's never gotten a left hander out in his life, and Mitchell Santner <laughs> actually averages lower against uh, averages lower against uh, left handers than he does against right handers. He just you know concedes a run extra. To left-handers, which kind of makes sense. He's he becomes a more, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a bit unfair given he's been really good this tournament and on form. So sometimes you gotta. But then I, th- I also don't necessarily want to go too much on Kenny Williams. I mean, it could have been more than just matchups. He could have been thinking like this side of the field. It's gonna hit. To, you know, he's hitting in and it's going to the leg side and which is the shorter side. And I'm gonna really. You know, uh, yeah. I'm going to really put him at a disadvantage and things like that. And it's better to go with an off spin to tent out the thing. And it didn't end up like, yeah, not everything Kane and Williamson does apparently pays off like shock horror. <laughs> shock horror. It's not, it's Look, not actually uh, perfect. As long as he keeps winning tosses, that's all. That's the most important role as a captain in a T20 game, anyway. There's no. <laughs> Yeah. On, the way sorry. I look at and I was saying the way I look at it a little bit is that normally it's Ish and Mitchell as being the, yeah. the third bowler, um with a like maybe half the fourth bowler, but you know, the they're one and a half bowlers and then because they've got plenty of options there with um Nisham and, and Milne and Phillips and I definitely think that's uh, one of the strengths. Yeah. New Zealand banked on their strengths. They knew they didn't have a per- they didn't have a good white ball team and they don't have a good t20 side yeah um they had to build uh something that would work that had a coherent strategy yeah and i think australia's done the same thing so australia's game i think everyone thought pakistan didn't go hard enough after having a good start which i looking at it now i'm like i have to agree i think there was definitely runs left in the tank yeah yeah they did it was a slow slow first 10 overs a little bit yeah like they could have had a bit more in there but and uh, i don't know if they took now. into consideration that australia have matthew wade coming in at number seven matthew wade is a bona fide top order player yeah you know he's just batting in number seven because australia have decided to have a stronger batting lineup um he's wicked keeping obviously and that's the excuse that he you know but he could he's generally an opener or a number three um, so he's actually done the opposite of Daryl Mitchell and like really th- like you know put out some really good performances for Australia as a closer. Um, yeah, yeah. So New Zealand's set 
like, and it worked that night, like with Marcus Stoinis. Even when Glenn, um, uh, Glenn Maxwell got out, I didn't think Australia were in trouble. I was just like, who's in next? And I was like, in my head, for some reason, I thought it, they had a, more bowlers than they did. And I was like, oh, it's going to be Ashton Agar or someone like that. And then I was like, oh, no, it's Matthew Wade. And I'm like, no, Australia's got this. Like, <laughs> it's fine. I thought Agar, and that would have still been fine because yeah. they still had Stoinis there. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, because I, I was thought, you know, Satner coming in, it's fine because, you know, sure, Ashton Agar's not as good a batter as uh, as Mark, uh, as Mitchell Satner and not, I don't think, as good a bowler as Mitchell Satner. But, you know, he's a good, useful cricketer, you know, great yeah. athlete and all that. Um, but, no, 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 it's Matthew Wade. I'm like, okay, no, Australia's definitely got this. Why is everybody, act, why is this win predictor thing giving them a 28% <laughs> or something ridiculous? Um so two players who could definitely hit the ball, like Pakistan got unlucky. Like I know there was a drop catch, and I don't want to drop catches happen. Like I'm not gonna obviously go too deeply into that, uh, but I think the like you know there was like five runout chances they missed, which would have gotten. Yeah. So, so Australia, you don't hit their tail, and I I think the tail in these World Cups are really weak. Like. The Jimmy Nisham and Glenn Phillips had said that while they think players like Tim Saldi or Adam Milne or could bat reasonably well in in Australia and New Zealand, lower down the order, they could be expected to hit a few balls. Um, they thought like Mitchell Santner might, but you know they felt like in that game against uh, Afghanistan they had to finish it because they were and get a big score because although you know. Uh, otherwise, it wasn't not against Afghanistan, Scotland. Yeah, that game against Scotland where they got 65 runs in the last four overs to him and Glenn Phillips, like they had to take it to the end and to get for them to get post a decent total. And I uh, definitely uh, agree that uh, New Zealand have basically gone with a uh, with a two hitter, uh, two power hitter formula. For their batting lineup, and Australia have three yeah. lower order power hitters uh, in that lower. And obviously, everybody else, Pat Cummins, is like a Tim Saldi, like not as good at batting as, as Tim Saldi, in my opinion. No, no. And things and, like and that. Sort of similar as well. Like in Australia, sure, yeah. he's, he's a perfectly fine batter in his home conditions, yeah. but yeah, the UAE is not Australia and it's not New Zealand, so yeah. it's, it's not as easy to, to pick up. Um, yeah. And yeah, you require an actual batter at that point, or someone who has batting um, credentials. And whilst I like, I, I like to talk up Saudi's batting ability, and I think he's actually a decent batter. Um, yeah, it is very true that in New Zealand, yeah, or potentially Australia or England, like none of them are some someone. Points. None of those batters are like someone like Sunil Nareen, who's. It's weird. It seems like an oxymoron. He's become a specialist floater. Yes. Like, he will bat where you need to, end, but he can bat in a way that I don't think a lot of, like, I, I, even Saudi can't. Like, he puts literally no value in his wicket and tries to hit everything. Yes. And it doesn't matter if it only he only stays there for 10 balls, he will get you 20 runs, to 25 plus runs if he's there for 10 balls. You know, that is, yeah, yeah. that's how he bats. And that's a very useful player. Like you can use him as an opener in the power play, or to come in as a you know as a number three in the power play to keep the momentum going. You can use him as a closer. You would rarely use him in the middle overs to consolidate. That's not his game. 
No. You know, but he's a floater. Like he fits in when you need an accelerator in your lineup, and he and yeah, he can yeah. come in whenever. Yeah, and and that's his specialization. These guys are don't specialize that way. Oh. And to be fair to people, very to be fair to Pat Cummins and Jim Saldi, very few players I think go out of their way to do do T20 the way Sunil Nareen does. Like, he's probably yeah. the world's most interesting T20 player. Like, he's gone from being an unplayable bowler to being this useful guy who has so many different deliveries up his sleeve and yeah, changes yeah. bowling action completely. And he's gone from being a kind of a... just a, open, uh, you know, a, a specialist opener if they're having... if they open with spin bowlers to a guy who's just become a specialist floater and, like, you know... Yeah, yeah. And, and built the template for it, and he's just changed so much of his game. But like very few players put in the effort because he's a, such a franchise guy. Yeah, you know he is, he works in the gig economy. Yeah, you know, he yeah. doesn't have a central con. He doesn't have central contract security. He has to play. He has to be that guy. Uh, and so very few players are do invest as much as he does into designing what your game will be and strategizing how you're going to evolve as a player as you age and become and grow yeah, yeah, yeah. which is like which is why he's just so fascinating um but yeah tim saldi pat cummins are not sunil Nareen. they're not good and they uh, as a bat as a batter and they're not like a kim as a cricketer obviously yeah but both are extremely good players now I've, i said at the top that i thought both teams were very flawed and they had to hide their flaws in different ways I think New Zealand's flaws are obvious that they, the batters could struggle, and yeah. they knew that. So they made up for it by having a lot of all-rounders, like basically batters who could bowl a bit. Yeah. Uh, and they basically hoped that the, uh, you know, their anchors or accumulators in the top of the order. Because New Zealand doesn't have, like, even Martin Guptill isn't that. In. Like, Devin Conway can hit the ball really hard if you use him as an opener. Um, but if you're not using him as an opener, he's an accumulator if he's at number four, because that's what you have to be at number four. Like, an aggressive yeah. accumulator, but he's still an accumulator. Whereas, like, New Zealand, like, Tim Seifert's unfortunate because he wasn't in form, and we don't pick Colin Monroe. Um, yeah. For they, the T20 side it doesn't have like a gun opener who like like David Warner for example like David yeah. Warner I mean I, I think nobody wants for some reason nobody just says it out loud in the room because it seems to be a big elephant because he's always such a divisive figure in the game but <laughs> I will just say it David Warner is the best ever T20 batsman ever full stop period I don't give a shit what you say like almost any way you look at his statistics, at, yeah. David Warner basically spent three years in the IPL where he was getting at a minimum. He was basically getting forty-eight runs a game, not averaging forty-eight, getting forty-eight runs per game yeah. at a strike rate of one fifty. That that is crazy. Stat, really. Like yeah. that's that was a seasonal stat. Like it's incredible. He was the bank runner. Like yeah. and un and unlike in every other. Uh, opener in the game and everybody will say like you can't say an opener is the best player because everyone can open and, and I agree with that everybody knows how to be an opener and that's why when you go to T20 World Cup every team's full of openers yeah. you know they don't take unlike the West apart from the West Indies who pick specialists and England who pick specialists for their positions everybody has a team full of openers usually Yeah, yeah. and that's very very true 
But with that being said, David Warner is better than every other opener in the world. Because unlike every other, and I include Rohit Sharma in this, and Rohit Sharma to me is probably number two after him. But yeah, David yeah. Warner, like, uh, he's one of those rare power play batsmen who lit, who almost never, who just doesn't stop their scoring rate after the power plays. Like almost every power play, like there's like you, I think international, like across the world, if you look at all T20. After the power play, a, a, T, a T20 opener who is now set and sees the ball and is already hitting it really well and only has 15 overs to go, is suddenly lowers their like their strike rate goes uh, uh, like reduces by almost 60 percent or something ridiculous like that, wow. which is like like it drives analysts crazy. And when you think yeah, about yeah. it, that would drive me crazy. Like you're set, you're doing well. Just. Keep doing and what you're doing. Just keep hitting. Like, who cares if you get out? You've done your job. I think your that's... wicket is not that valuable anymore to the team. You're a detriment now to the team, which yeah. with every ball you're staying because you're trying to play the long game. You're not in the team to be an anchor. Yeah, I exactly. like obviously depending on the team. Obviously, yeah. um, there are obviously situations, but like you know, usually like we're talking here in IPL teams where usually you have stacked. You know, batting lineups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why those games are incredibly fun to watch. But the uh, so David Warner doesn't do that. He just keeps hitting because he's good and he (laughs) backs himself. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm David fucking Warner." Like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I can do this. Chris Gale's numbers and you've and you said and I agreed with you the other day. Chris Gale is one of those players who can end a game by himself on a given day, and that's hundred percent true. Chris Gales batting like he, he has a higher strike rate in the power play than David Warner and post strike rate his power is almost half of David Warner's post power play strike rate. That's crazy. So that's, that's how good David Warner is. Like this yeah, yeah. is the level of skill. Like he's had a bad year at the Sunrisers Hyderabad, blah blah blah. <laughs> I call BS on all of that. Okay? Uh the David Warner is still the best, and he showed it in that game against Pakistan. Um, So I will just... There is one thing where I think the reason why you always have to say Australia are the favorites going into uh, any finals, almost against any team you can play, is they still have David Warner. And the, except maybe against a team like the West Indies, who have like you know, who have yeah. worldy players like you know Andre Russell and Chris Gale, and you have uh, you know an England etc. Who has Johnny Bairstow and all. I see all that like, and that's fine. Like, but you know when you're playing it, like New Zealand doesn't have a world class player like that in t- at T20 level. They uh-huh. so David Warner gives you that advantage. They've got a worldy like they've got a. Guy who's a single, you know, single player match winner. Yeah, like, exactly. But that, with that being said, I believe in these conditions, um, New Zealand uh, with Ish Sodi and Tim Saudi together are like a worldie, like from the bowling line. You know, two players yeah, yeah. doing the work of one player, and that in in a way that doesn't quite work, but does because they're bowlers. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean though. Like between the yeah, two like, of them. Yeah, they give you eight over, they can give you eight overs of world class innings. Like yeah. eight overs of world class bowling in a twenty. Like Ish Sodi's bowled his four in every game and deservedly bowled his four in every game. Like he's been an absolute gun in, and like he can be absolutely unplayable in these conditions. 
Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Santner is a very good foil for him and obviously had a good tournament as well, being very economical, like basically strangling the runs in the middle overs, and that's worked. Basically, it's a two-headed Hydra that New Zealand use in the middle overs to to restrict teams. And Tim Saudi and Trent Bolt at the top of the innings are like... And look, I've not even gotten into Trent Bolt because he's had really good games and like average, you know, been hit in some games, right? Um, but Trent Bolt is like, like for the last two or three years for the Mumbai Indians has been an absolute gun. He's basically dislodged Mitchell Stark from that team. That tells you how good he is. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. And... I think, I think um, Trent Bolt is one of the better bowlers, full stop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. This, he may be one, two innings. Um, this if you bowl it, you're going to have the occasional expensive games. Like, that is the thing of being yeah. a death bowler, right? Like, a yeah. guy who bowls at the death but has an economy of 10 is good. Like, yeah. let's not mince ourselves around. Like, you only concede... Every team would take... Oh, they only get... Uh, the, you know, the last four over of the game, they only score 40 runs. We're like, yeah, that, that we take that. I think the other thing to remember there is that Bolt was more the opener type, not the closer type for the bowling lineups. Yeah. And he has transformed himself into that in more recent years. Yeah. Um, the take of and, the pressure off Salve, who was yeah. pretty much the, that option. And also to be... Uh, like, the other reason we have to say Australia favourites is because they are... Uh, They've had less injuries than New Zealand um, in this tournament. So New Zealand's already lost Lockie Ferguson, who's a key, key bowler. Like, honestly, Lockie Ferguson being in the this New Zealand team make would make such a difference to the oh, outcome. Yeah. Like Adam Milne, really good player, and like you know we should nurture him and you know get him ready and playing as much for New Zealand as possible. And I I think he can one day be a really good player. For New Zealand, but you know, like Lockie Ferguson, I feel for him because he's gotten injured in unlucky times for New Zealand so often. Yeah. But he's such a clutch player yeah, for yeah, New yeah. Zealand, like so, so incredibly clutch. Like, he, our death bowling becomes like uh, really, really good if we have like you know those those three just dividing the last four overs between them, depending on you know depending on yeah, who's yeah, better. Yeah who's there at the crease at the time and they just basically uh and that you know that would have made new zealand a more toss-proof team if that makes sense yeah it does uh, make a little bit of sense yeah uh now so the key to being a better to being a more toss-proof team is obviously you need to be able to uh you need better bowling resources because you have to often defend totals um yeah now, New Zealand and uh, Australia, like I said, New Zealand have fixed their flaws by picking but all uh, all rounders who can bat a bit, like but are decent uh, uh, at the um, bowling side. So their ba- batting order is shallower than Australia's. And Australia basically go, we don't have all rounders. We've tried really, really hard to get all rounders. The closest thing we have to an all rounder is Ashton Agar. Marcus Doinis and Glenn Maxwell do not count. No. Because if you need to, do, if you need to get four overs out of Glenn Maxwell or Mark, even getting two overs each out of Glenn Maxwell and Marcus Doinis is dicey. Yeah. Because if they're uh, if set batsmen are hitting them, they're they're getting hit, and there's nobody else in Australia in that Australian lineup that can make up for it. Yeah. So, like, I think uh, uh, 
Austra so I think Australia's basically gone. We will just play the extra better and four bowlers and just somehow work it out and hide yeah. the you know the fifth bowler in amongst the rest somehow. And That's... it's. It's sort of have it, but yes. And so this is the two sides, the two very flawed sides going into it, and and it's a weird situation where uh, it's like Ghost Pokemon versus Psychic Pokemon here. Like they're both good, <laughs> they're both weak against each other and strong against each other. Like the attacks yeah, yeah. are strong against you, and they're bad defending each other's attacks. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be interesting, as you say. New Zealand's gone with the let's get the bowling attack, like having a nice varied bowling attack and go anywhere. And, and yeah, uh, as they showed, their fifth bowler um, against England well, was Jimmy Neesham as a sixth players, bowler is arguably better than almost uh, better than most teams' fifth bowlers. Right, like that's our sixth bowler in the t in the sides, and Australia's sixth bowler is Marcus Stoinis, yeah. which is not really a sixth bowler, as we've like you know. Well, gone... the thing is that you can, if you get to Marcus Stoinis sort of level of six bowlers, um, it, as it is Mitch Marsh as well from the Pakistan yeah. game, like we've got seven or eight bowlers then because you add in. Yeah. Um, Williamson can can if really needed to roll that arm over for an over. I'm sure. I think Kane Williamson has decided since he's been called for chucking that he's not bowling. Yeah, no, he will bowl a little bit. It's more that he feels others are better, um, and he's not putting any time into practicing. He's gone. There's no much point putting time into practicing. I might as well practice some batting, so it's not there. But and there's Daryl Mitchell too. There's yeah, it's Daryl Mitchell too. Yeah. You're Glenn Phillips. Along with um, the standard bowlers, like, yeah, I say, you could, if you need to, there's plenty of people to go to to, to chuck the ball to to um, get an over out of if you're worried about, you know, people getting hit. So it's, there's a nice wide range of of options available to, to Kane to, with, you know, especially since he's big on the matchups, you say, and looking at it and trying to work out what's the best best option he's got. Because he's got all the options to go with. Like he can go, who's bowling? Who's actually a bowler who's bowling well? Who's going to be moving the ball in the way that we want, or bowling the type of balls we want against this particular batter? That's it could pick a mix. Um, but yeah, as you say, it makes the batting lineup a bit more reliant on the top top five or so people. Or say with Australia, they don't have that flexibility in the bowling lineup, but they keep hitting all the way down, like seven, eight. Yeah, you have to get. I think eight is when Australia are quite Probably. vulnerable because that's where yeah. Pat Cummins comes in, right? Um, now, yeah, the batting. Uh, so those are the basic two key matchups. But like I said, the fact that Australia still have David fucking Warner in their yeah. team, they still have a really good core four bowlers that yeah. specialist Zampa down to. So if I were to compare bowling options one side versus the other side's bowling options, New Zealand's is clearly better. Yeah. Like clearly, clearly better. Um, if we had Lockie Ferguson, no question whatsoever. Like even the core four, Australia with Cam Cummins, Hazelwood, um, uh, Stark, Zampa. and Zampa. If you, uh, if I'm going putting them up against Ish Sodi, uh, Trent Bolt, 
Tim Saudi and uh, Lockie Ferguson in T20s. I think man for man, all our bowlers are better than Australia's. Yeah, I'm not like hundred percent. Like, okay, Stark and uh, Bolt, okay, equal even. Uh, Saudi yeah. Cummins, I think. Uh, sure, Cummins has the IPL contracts, but I think when it comes tournament time and when playing for the Black Caps, Saudi is uh, is just as good as Cummins is. Yeah. And the uh, and then you've got Ish and Zampa. I think Ish is like one of the best wrist spinners in the world. Yeah. Like, and he's proven it Especially over and over again. Level. Yeah. In T20 level, like in white ball wrist spinners, like there's very few better than Ish Saudi. And so many games he's won for us defending totals as well. Like, that is yeah, the yeah, yeah. hallmark of a really good spinner. And then you've got your, you know, and Lockie, if it was Lockie Ferguson against Hazelwood, Lockie Ferguson is definitely better than Josh Hazelwood at T20. Like, I yeah. respect Josh Hazelwood. They call him the bush horse. He's, he's like, unrefined. He's all about, he's got power and aggression. And, you know, I love it. Like, he's great. But, you know, Lockie Ferguson is Lockie Ferguson. Like, yeah, exactly. you know, there's a reason why every T20 team wants to bid so much to get him. Like, he's genuine out-and-out -out pace, and he's clever, and he knows when to use his variations so well. Yeah. And, like, so incredibly difficult to play as a player. Like, that's the... And then you and then you look at the list of the lineup. Okay, Santner is better than Glenn Maxwell and uh, Marcus Stoinis put together. Yeah. The four overs you get out of Stoinis will be better than the four... Uh, overs you get out of them and Mitchell yeah. Stark and whoever else and if you're gonna go uh, Mitchell Satner and Jimmy Nishim uh, and Daryl Mitchell with those guys yeah definitely better so New Zealand's but and even if we're replacing Lockie Ferguson with Adam Milne yeah I still think it's better sure Australia's pace bowling lineup is now better than New Zealand's pace bowling lineup because Adam Milne is nowhere near as good as Josh Hazelwood yeah a player like and with all due respect to Adam Milne, um, but, you know, the rest of it, like, New Zealand has better spin bowlers, New Zealand has, like, the better, you know, uh, other options if needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, bowling-wise, New Zealand are better, but batting-wise, Australia, and it's not as it Australia just have an extra batter in the team. If they haven't David Warner in their team, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the thing is incredibly better you know like New Zealand's it's so I don't think New Zealand's bowling advantage takes up for Australia's batting advantage if this if we were looking at this in a vacuum in yeah. the UAE though I think that evens out because yeah. bowling is so important in the UAE so the way I look at it I am actually happy that Australia are in the finals because I think if Pakistan were in the finals if they won the toss 100% New Zealand can't win. Yeah. Like, New Zealand may as well pack up, head to India for the tour because, yeah, yeah. you know, the tournament's over. Exactly. Um, like, so that's what would have happened if New Zealand played pa Pakistan. If New Zealand play Australia and lose the toss, 80% of the time, Australia will win. If... Uh, but I think if Australia... Uh, uh, but I think if New Zealand win the toss, uh, Australia will only win 70% of the time. New Zealand can still win 30% of the time. Does that make sense? Sorry, you know what no, I mean? Yes. Sorry. If, Austra if New Zealand lose the toss, 
Uh, Australia will uh, will win 75% of the time. New Zealand still have a 25% chance to win. Yeah. Whereas I think if New Zealand win the toss, Australia uh, only... Uh, Australia have maybe like a 10% chance to win. Like Australia, New Zealand will win 90% of those games yeah, yeah. if New Zealand are bowling first because I think New Zealand can restrict the... Uh, the Australian batting lineup if they're batting first. Yeah. I mean, if basically, especially if they can get David Warner out early, and if New Zealand uh, play uh, and you know to chase uh, the bowlers, I think New Zealand can ta- will target that fifth bowler really well. Like I think yeah, they yeah. can restrict. Even if Australia, worst case scenario, were to get a 190-200 type score, I think New Zealand will just go, yeah, there's a, they don't have a fifth bowler, and we have been the best at batting in the last four overs of the game. And their yeah. fifth bowler isn't going to bowl at the death, he's going to bowl before then. So there's eight overs for us to cash in, just play sensibly, just get, get us somewhere. Get to 100 within 11 to 12 overs, and we're, we're ready to play now, boys. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. keep a couple of wickets in hand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I think that's the thing is that New Zealand team. The other strength they have is being very prepared and knowing exactly yeah. where the target and and how to go about it. And so they'll yeah. know exactly that. That with Australia, the fourth bowler, um, or the fifth bowler option is is whatever they're going with. That's where the runs are. So you've got can target those whenever that. The, those options are bowling. I think you'll see New Zealand going pretty hard into that. Um, but And also not taking too many risks against the likes of, of Stark or Cummins. Um, yeah, and... I think a lot of it, like, I think we've talked a lot about the pace bowling, um, but I think the key bowling difference might be New Zealand spin. Yeah. Um, given Australia have a decent amount of left-handers, and the, I think Jake Kane Williamson needs to review how he uses Mitchell Santner, because I think being under under using Mitchell Santner can lose us the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as we said, if we're defend, like I have no worries if New Zealand are uh, you know chasing. You know, I think we're gonna win if we chase. Yeah, I'm talking if we want. Uh, in if we have to chase an Australia score, or if we have to defend against Australia, I think we can best case scenario get maybe 180 against that Australian bowling lineup, even with the fifth bowler batting first. It's different yeah, yeah. when you're chasing; it, you just don't get as much when you're batting first. That's just how it works yeah, yeah. in T20s. Um, I think 180. If we if we got 190 plus, that would be an incredible score. But I don't think we could. Like, uh, but we're more likely to get a score between 160 and 170. Yeah, maybe 175. Um, it seems to be the scores people are getting in this tournament anyway. So yeah. So if we got a score like that and we had to defend against Australia, then I think. The you know you really need Sentner and Sodi to do a really good choke job in the middle. Just keep the runs off and just entice them. See if you can get it and you know try and get wickets that way. And Sodi can do that. Yeah. Uh, and Mitchell Sentner has shown that he can support Sodi in doing that. And they can often clean up even against teams that are good against playing spin. 
yeah. So there's going to be a bit like I know matchups are matchups are matchups, but I think uh, Kane Williamson has to give back so, uh, Satner a bit. So, so I think against Australia, that would be probably more likely to see more Satner um, overs because I feel like a bit of it was the, the matchups with the English um, batters. I just had the feeling with the Australian batters, you know, you don't want to be, you want to be using your better bowlers. I don't, like, if we're in a situation where it's Marcus Stoinis and Matthew Wade batting, and it's like, they're chasing a total, and they've got, uh, they're in the 12th over, just because it's two left-handers, I don't think Kane Williams should, should, should keep Satner out of the attack, I think. No. I don't think he will in this case. Matthew Wade hates facing spin, throw yeah. spin at him, like, Sodi and... Things like that. Like, Marcus Stoinis is a gun player, but Marcus Stoinis can be a hit-and-miss player in T20, like, as any player can be, and he's a yeah. power hitter, so that is... part comes with the territory. Yeah, that's yeah, his role, right? His... So I'm not cri- I'm not criticizing him in that respect. Um, yeah. So he... Uh, he will... Uh, he's gonna be uh, uh, the key guys. Him, Glenn Max... If you can get... Uh, two of those three lower order power hitters for cheap. That then you can defend a total against this Australian lineup. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, if you're not getting top order wickets, you're not winning the game anyway. This is why I'm not going into that scenario. Obviously, if the pace bowlers can't get the openers out and the openers are there at the tenth over, yeah, Australia's won the game. Like that's yeah. or New Zealand's won the game if the reverse is happening. That's the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it takes a Herculean effort after that so like this is the other thing with Australia where if one of their frontline bowlers have a bad day New Zealand like there's less luxury where you get the rest of the overs from or do you yeah. just let them bowl like sure Trent Bolt bowled out his uh, got 40 at, at 10 plus so he had a bad death I'm not talking about having a bad death but like you know uh someone like uh chris jordan level you know just having a bad day yeah yeah. you know just like you have an over where you've conceded if you're one of your frontliners just comes and concedes at the beginning uh like at, at their beginning spell concedes like uh like 10 20 you know 10 15 runs and over then you're gonna be like oh crap do I bring him back at the depth? Do I try and get a few overs in from a part-timer? And yeah. where's those... Yeah, so that's where New Zealand, like, if they are Australia, if they have to defend against, uh, you know, have to defend against New Zealand, they, as New Zealand have shown, they don't panic. Uh, but the yeah. thing is, because they don't have Conway, it really depends on who's going to bat that number four spot. At this point, we don't know who it is. If it was Ross Taylor... If it was, I'm not bitter, if. honest. <laughs> Couldn't tell. No. Uh, then, you know, he's going to be just as good as Conway. Like, yeah. And I'll fight anyone who disagrees with me. And he would get the job done. I have 100% faith in Ross. It would just be a slot in, slot out. Yeah. You know, a replacement. It depends... There's basically two batters who could come in, and maybe one outside chance if New Zealand wanted even more batting, uh, bowling. They could pick uh, either Mark Chapman or Tim Seifert. Tim Seifert has not been in the best of form leading up to this tournament, which is why Daryl Mitchell got swapped out for him. 
to open the innings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because New Zealand decided they needed top order runs. Yeah. Now, maybe some time away from the middle will give Seifert some... I like the, the advantages of putting Seifert in, in my opinion. Are you can Kane can Williamson can move down to number four, yeah. uh, which I think is I think he can because it's a final. He'll have the big game temperament. Uh, he just has to stop being an anchor and be an aggressive accumulator, like push that side, yeah, and like just hope the rest of and that way Seifert can be number three. He'll be basically the backup opener if any of the other openers. Um, this is assuming we're setting a total, or we uh, we the openers have done a good job, and like you know they've scored 40 runs in the first four overs of the power play, and we just yeah, need yeah. somebody to continue to hitting for the last couple of overs of the power play, and you know keep, get some quick runs. Then Seifert is the ideal number three in that situation. Yeah. If obviously if it's it's a bit different if New Ze- uh, you know New Zealand are bat. You know, batting, uh, batting at number. You know, they lose an early wicket, uh, chasing a big total. Then Kane Williamson coming in at number three is not a bad idea because yeah. he provides stability and like calm head and all these other things. So that's how I would look at having a Seifert in there. Yeah, yeah. Mark Chapman is a more interesting prospect, and Seifert could potentially also replace wicket keeping duties because. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I'm not considering the wicket-keeping side of things is, like, um, you know, Glenn Phillips can also wicket-keep. Yeah, so yeah. There, there's another wicket-keeper in the squad because it's New Zealand. Of course, there's another wicket-keep, another two wicket-keepers in the squad. That's just how we build teams. In New yeah. <laughs> they sit around the wicket-keepers. There's multiple redundancies in key positions. <laughs> um, so the other... So Mark Chapman is, in my opinion... Best uh, ODI list day o- you know, ODIA player in the New Zealand domestic scene, yeah. who's not a regular in the black caps. So he strike rate uh, at domestic level is about 98, with an average of 50 for Auckland. Yeah, yeah. So he's just been in form for the last few years. I think in T20s he's uh, he's more of a uh, accumulator. Now. Mm. The, they must have. There must be a reason why they've picked him ahead of Ross Taylor to come to the T20 World Cup. It can't just be because he came to travel and learn. Le- <laughs> as you know, like it's a turn. It's a World Cup turn. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe that is the reason because they didn't think they'd get this far. But that's really dumb if that is the reason. Like no. you drop someone. Like you don't drop a legend like Ross for that. No, you say they have to have seen something there that. Yeah. He so has to I be better at it than Ross in their eyes. So depending on how badly Seifert is doing in the nets or what sort of mood he's yeah. in or how he's feeling, Chapman might get the chance. Now, that could be interesting. I think Chapman could be a like-for-like replacement for... Um, but I think, once again, I think if Kane Williamson bats at number four, I like the idea of Chapman coming in at number three if only because I think as a newbie, it's better for him to get in as earlier rather than later. And watch and get more nervous and get more. Thing. He, yeah, yeah. He, especially if we're setting a total. Yeah, yeah. Stay in there, get as many runs as you can, boy. Like you know, cash in. This is your opportunity. Nobody's gonna blame you. You know, you had to come in because of a last-minute injury. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Like obviously, a chase is different because every chase 
you know, it, it depends on the situation at the time, and you know exactly yeah. what the situation is at the time. Then, so you don't need to pre you you just you know you react in a, when chasing for your batting lineup and yeah, ideas. Yeah. Uh, so that's our. That would be my uh, thing with Mark Chapman. So both of those are fine. Now, my left field theory that they could go with is they could pick Todd Astle. Yeah. Which would basically mean you're pushing Mitchell, Sat- uh, you're pushing Jimmy Nishim to four, which is a position I think he can bat. By the way, oh, sorry, Glenn Phillips to four, which is definitely a position Glenn Phillips yeah, can yeah. bat. Jimmy Nishim to five. Once again, definitely a position Jimmy Nishim can bat. And you're putting Mitchell Satner at six. I think in New Zealand that is a position Mitchell Satner can bat. Not yeah. sure if that's a position he can bat in the UAE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's not had to. He's not had been tested, so I don't know. Um, but Nate, Todd Astle can definitely bat numbers. Like if Mitchell Satner had gotten injured, Todd Astle coming in as a replacement for him, I'd have no issues in my head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And my other thing of that is because there is a lot of left-handers in Australia's lineup, I don't know if Kane Williamson, if he's going to be have that little confidence in Mitchell Satner to bowl to left-handers, is it better that he just picks Todd Astle to get those spinner overs? Because I think spinning uh, gives us the edge. The spin bowlers give us the edge. Yeah, I think our medium pacers, like Jimmy Nisham, Daryl Mitchell, way better than like Marcus Doinus, Mitchell Marsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To if we're gonna count like the part-time, uh, middle, medium yeah. pacers. Yeah, yeah. And your for our spin, like I said, I think Ish Sodi is definitely is better than Adam Zampa, and Adam Zampa is a damn good player. So I'm not underrating him. But yeah. if you, I just think you know, if you're not gonna pick a lefty because of matchups, then pick the other guy. Pick the wrist spinner. He's that's the cheat code in T20s, right? <laughs> so pick the cheat code if he's if you have him. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes. if we didn't have a wrist, another wrist spinner in the squad, I'd be like, okay, don't, it'd be nice to have a wrist spinner. But no, we have another wrist spinner in the squad. And you're not bowling your left arm spinner because he's you're worried about matchups. So why not pick the left leggy? He's there. Yeah, I'd say I think a little bit was a bit about England and just having the, the options. Um, yeah. yeah. But the same points. I don't know. I, I I think look, Mitchell Santner should play. Like I'm not saying he yeah. shouldn't, but I don't think that you're not getting the use out of Mitchell Santner if you're not going to bowl him. Right? There's no point picking Mitchell Santner in your eleven if he's not going to get if he's only going to get one over or two yeah. overs. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe two. It's basically two minimum for him, right? He has to bowl yeah, two minimum two. and ideally three, four overs because you know yeah. eight overs of Mitch Santner and Ish Sodi because Ish Sodi can bowl in the death. Yeah. Like at least the first death over, he can. So those he uh, so you can ba- especially if he's facing if somebody like a Matthew Wade comes in early, like you know, give him an over of spin, like just to yeah. you know screw with him before yeah, exactly. the Pacers come on. So I think definitely uh, we uh, we want to get the most we can out of our spin bowling options, and then there's your um your your Pacers, which you just have to you know. We, you know, they've been really consistent for you and done really well. So you yeah, just have exactly. to hope they continue. Like, there's no magic formula to that. No, I think that's right. There isn't too much magic formula there. It's just 
bowl the bowlers you know that can perform and if for some reason they're it's not their day you know that's when you start looking at at the other options and consider that's when you can consider matchups and the such like like once you're cycling through an extra bowler um yeah you, know, you look at your options then and think but i think you're right like satin has got a bowl ish has got a bowl the three paces have got a bowl that will yeah. if they bowl and they bowled well um, they're going yeah. to win us the game just about no matter what yeah so yeah, I think you need Jimmy Nisham, Daryl Mitchell comes in if one of our frontline pacers are having an off day. Yeah. Sure. They're there as backups. They're not there like that shouldn't be plan A uh yeah. in our thinking. No, exactly. It's they're there for okay, this is the plan yeah, plan A isn't working for whatever reason. Like it's just it's not there, it's not happening. Alright. Give yeah, let's throw it to Jimmy or throw it to Daryl and see if we can get something or even Glenn yeah. Phillips at that point. See if we can get something out of it. See if something something happens with them and changes yeah. the the situation, and then we can bring back our main bowlers. Just things yeah. have changed, so it's a reset code. The other reason why I potentially like if uh, Mark Chapman comes in is he's also a spinner. All right, yeah. And he's a left-hander for the batting lineup, All so right, yeah. that's useful. And the if he comes in, then New Zealand are forced to give Glenn Phillips the wicket-keeping duty. So Satner has to bowl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but I think New Zealand went with Todd Astle. That would be an admission that, you know, they're just going, yep, yeah, we know our batting order is thin. We're just hoping they don't get out. And I don't, I don't think that gives a lot of confidence to the top order. Like, I know very rarely do you use go, you know, lose more than four wickets in a T20 innings. Yeah. But your batters don't think that. They think, oh, if we lose a few wickets, our number eight can't bat. Why? How often do number eights bat? But it, that's how they think. Yeah, yeah. And that well, affects how their tempo goes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, the other thing is, like, yeah, if you're on number eight, having to bat, you're in a bad position anyway. So, yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons why Australia's played to their strengths well, where they've gone, hey, yeah, we know that, uh, you know, like David Warner can go hard and play David Warner esque. He doesn't have to think about being an anchor because, hey, Matthew Wade is in for freaking number seven here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, there's not. Like I, we have a solid lineup. Like number eight is Pat Cummins. It's fine, you know. Where uh, I can go hard. One of the boys will do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's gonna be definitely uh, the. So those are the like those are the key things I want to look at. The other the other thing though, I do think that gives New Zealand a bit of an edge. Uh, like oh, the bowling, obviously, have gone through the advantages. But I think, as we know, white ball cricket generally bat being stronger in batting versus being stronger in bowling is more advantages. Mm. Nine times out of ten. Yeah. Generally. Unless you're a specialized, you're a very well organized specialized bowling lineup, and you have the gun bowlers. And by yeah. the gun bowlers, I mean Rashid Khan in your team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's a different scenario altogether. Um. But the uh yeah so those uh the uh, the other side where I think New Zealand have an edge is obviously Kane Williamson 
And while I think Aaron Finch is a very shrewd captain and has shown to be a really shrewd player for Australia and getting the tact- his tactics correct in this World Cup, yeah. I mean, Williamson just wins more tosses. He just does. <laughs> there is that. Though he has did lose a few of them in the group. Um... Got them out of the way, so now probability, right? Yeah. See, this is the strategic way Kane Williamson thinks. Yeah, he's thinking way ahead. He got those... 5D chess here, mate. Yeah, he got the toss losses out of the way to the minnows. You know, the ones knew we could... One against Pakistan, you know, he was just like, yeah, it's a risk, but, you know, we can lose one game and still make it through. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. He was playing the long game. I should should trust in Kane, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Like, as soon as New Zealand beat India in their first game, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can afford to lose one game now because India's now lost two. It's yeah. fine. Like, yeah. yeah, that was their... They took the long game view, lost a few tosses, and there you go. Like, now they can... Now, statistically, I think they're due to win the next toss because Australia's won every toss. Oh, exactly. Then. It's definitely... It, it, New Zealand's... Not only be New Zealand that wins the toss now. Except that yeah. now we've jinxed it by talking about it, so probably we've just, we've just thrown it to the black gods now. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the game starts at three in New Zealand time on Monday, so yeah. we'll know exactly at three o five who wins the game. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so as you said, but we're earlier. still going to watch to the end because you know that's what cricket fans do. Yeah, exactly. But as you said earlier, like. At least with New Zealand and Australia, whilst the toss will probably give a very strong indication it's winning, there's still quite bigger odds than otherwise um, that the lo- person, lo- the team losing the toss, may actually pick up the win. Um, yeah. So there is. I think that. one of the things that you have to consider about chasing big scores that Chris Jordan over he was trying really hard to do Yorkers. Um, which generally always come off for him, but the, there might have potentially been due, which makes yeah. it harder to control your... Uh, even if you control your grip and then... And the Yorker is such a precise delivery. Yeah. And so this is the other reason why I think the toss is just so important in this... Like, it's a game that's played in that time, so the team bo- bowl, uh, bowling second have to deal with the do. Yeah, yeah. So the spinners are... that. So that's one way that you could take uh, an Ishsodi and Mitchell Setner out of the equation is that they don't have control because you know, the ball is due. Or they practice a lot bowling in the dew in the nets in the next few days and hope that if they have to do it, they'll they'll be able to at least execute plans whether they come off or not at least you're going in with a plan and you're executing something yeah yeah exactly i'm sure they will be um be looking at yeah, yeah how much due is 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 happening at these these games and making sure that they're ready for them because you know yeah both teams obviously but both teams are very well prepared um and it's, yeah does it, not that it's not a thing of any um, international level um, team, but I would say, especially New Zealand and Australia, seem to be top level of preparedness. Like they really do 
go in knowing what's happening yeah. there, what's what pieces are moving around and what they need to do so that or you know I think especially Kane Williamson, which is the other benefit there. Um it's you know, Batman Batman level of preparedness for things. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. Kane Williamson is the Batman. I I I I think Aaron Finch wants to be the Batman of Australian white ball cricket. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of people in the setup of Australia, and that's going to change with their new chairman who's taken over, who kind of don't. They've treated T Twenty like very disrespectfully, like it's a slap and tickle, and like yeah. kind of not worried about it and they go to they just go oh look we've got good players we'll show up at a world cup if we make the semis we're in with a chance because you know knockout tournament yeah so i'm happy for aaron finch because i think he is a very good player and like he's a shrewd operator um i don't think he gets a lot of the raps that he deserves for australia as a white ball player just because he hasn't got a good test record So I do think he's uh, the so the planning like this whole thing about not having like they have one of the most uh, like well funded and sought you know like in terms of attracting talent like lucrative T oh, Twenty yeah. tournaments and played at home yeah, there yeah, exactly. and they still haven't developed a white ball all rounder from and how long has the Big Bash been going along? Seems like, like seems like for like at least since two thousand nine, I want to say. Um, yeah. And like again, like Super Smash is a good tournament for New Zealand standards. Super, you know, but is we don't have a lot of Super Smash players playing in like franchise cricket, other than like forget the IPL guys. Like outside of those IPL guys, we don't have many playing uh, franchise cricket around the world. Like no. they. The Super Smash is seems to be much more developed. Pointed at developing New Zealand T Twenty yeah. uh, prospects, right? It's it's our yeah. development um, development grade. Get them in there, get them sorted out, understanding T Twenty and and how to play it, and then trying to get them up think... to, to international level. Assuming, like Australia uh, Cricket Australia, were open to the idea. Um, and I don't know whether they would be. Do you think uh, New Zealand should try to convince them that they should uh, we could uh, they should allow New Zealand to have a uh, B- BBL franchise, like one in a stri- one either in Auckland or maybe even two, one in Auckland, one in Wellington. Could be interesting. Just the numbers yeah. even. I yeah. I wouldn't. What I would kind of like if Australia, if they did for the BBL, and I don't again, I don't know if it's Cricket Australia want to do this or feel uh, feel obliged, but like even a PNG franchise. Well, that could be interesting because it would effectively be the PNG team playing yeah. in Ports Moresby and with a few overseas players with who they can learn off. And I think it would like so improve things for PNG cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could be, like, this is a team that's going to be, like, easy beats probably for a while. But I think PNG showed that they execute stuff really well. They don't have the talent, 
but they plan well and players do all the one percenters like that's just, like that's what i really liked about png as a team like they run hard for singles they field really well like every little bit little yeah. thing and they like oh we're going to bowl a, like we're going to bowl an offside line we, you might get smashed but they bowl an offside line the bowler is perp- you know not straying you know what i mean like it yeah, sticks yeah, yeah, to yeah. the plan he and the fielders the know what's what's up and what they're going to do. Might not come off because, like I said, their players are not as talented as, you know, like the Tesla of all country players, but yeah. that, that's what they do. So I, I think it would be really interesting if PNG played in the Big Bash League. So, I mean, I think that could be real. Like, if that was up, like, I think New Zealand cricket should, would, should actively ask and try to ask Australia to do that because that would be a great way to... Like you know that you know that would be a great graduation thing. You play Super Smash as your developmental, like at yeah, the yeah. beginning, like because that always plays before the Big Bash League anyway. And then oh, after no, the they generally play round. Was the Super Smash is over Christmas and New Year's as well? So that's Big Bash starts New Year's. No, it does start afterwards. No, sorry, I'll take it all back. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> they play Super Smash and then they can go play in the Big Bash for yeah. like you know uh three weeks uh for the players and like yeah all the players would still be in the auction so new zealand players would be in the australian auctions and you know for australian teams new zealand players would be considered overseas players and vice versa yeah sort of thing uh and obviously if png are in same deal and yeah, the it could and also like hey, Australian players learning to play in swing ball conditions in New Zealand with a New Zealand franchise. Like I don't see how that hurts Australia, generally. No, no, expands the expands, expands the and, league and, and expands it into place they know is going to be fine. Like they're going to get the crowds, they'll be okay. Yeah. So yeah. And going to have like, decent talent and decent teams, so yeah, and you have one developmental side for PNG. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, you've got two in New Zealand that you know is going to be fine, and you throw one to PNG. That's yeah, that'd be definitely the. Because then you can actually have two divisions or something. You know, like you could have the Brisbane team and one of the Sydney teams, and then basically be that one division, and then you have another division. Yeah, yeah maybe. But yeah. The so but the thing is like we've come down to it like even the Super Smash produces like all rounders like there's there was Corey Anderson back in the day but there's players like Mitchell Santner there's uh, Jimmy Neesham there's mm-hmm. Daryl Mitchell there's Colin De Grandhomme so there's you know that New Zealand has a uh, like trouble producing like the super bats that learn to hit the ball really hard and stuff, and you really do have to be a franchise gun. Like, there's a reason why Colin Munro has literally been the only one New Zealand's produced in the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And, like, uh, and like after Brendan McCollum, that is. Like, yeah. BMAC, and then we had, like, Colin Munro. But for T20s, like, we have guys who can be huge guns in ODI cricket, but that's a whole different... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, different. The different kettle that's of fish. A, that's a complete different kettle of fish. You, you could totally go at a strike rate of seventy for the first six overs in an ODI and end up with a strike rate of two hundred plus by the end of the power play. Yeah, 
But you don't have that time in a T20. Yeah, exactly. This is what makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, it's yeah. just you say the lack of time. They have to just, you have to go big straight away. You can't, there's no, yeah. I think, which I think still, even nowadays, it still needs to be learned by the players. When you were talking before about the drop off of run rate after the power play for most of the big hitters. Yeah. I think it's still a bit of that from even ODIs. Like, we've got to put this power play. Okay, now it's consolidation time. We've got to see out the middle ODIs, of the I, I, In ODIs, I at least understand there's another 40 overs to go at the end yeah, of yeah. the power play. Um, but as Keep England close. have shown, you can get, like, that accumulation period between overs 10 and 40. They go at five and a half runs and over. Yeah, exactly. So you can't let... And that's what revolutionized, you know, one-day cricket. And New Zealand have, t- have had have put teams out there that have done the same yeah like have played that way as well so we do create good odi players and i think we're just in a dull patch because i do think we get do do make big hitters in new zealand as daryl mitchell showed but the it seems to be our batsmen have been concentrating on batsmanship rather than hitting ship if that makes sense yeah i think it's a little bit about the i guess the conservative nature of the selectors um in that, for hitmanship, you have to accept the losses with the gains, right? The idea yeah. is to find someone who can hit and has a high strike rate and generally scores more often than they don't. But you have to put up with the fact that they don't sometimes. Sometimes they get out in the first over or the first couple of overs and it, it hasn't worked that day. But that's that's the style of play and you accept that. Um, and I think the New Zealand selectors don't, don't trust that as much or don't respect that so you get more of the batmanship um, type players where they they can hit big but they're also a little bit wary of making sure they they bat time as well even though in t20 that makes little to no sense if you're gonna be a hitmanship player the new zealand selectors only respect you if you're like it's you know brendan mccullum level yeah yeah and like you've got that, uh, and you are as consistent as Brendan McCollum. But Brendan McCollum has one of the worst records of what happens after the power play versus you know during the power yeah. play. If you and Bren, he makes up made up for it by being a good strike rotator. Yeah, and because uh, that's also part of his game. Um, but I think. Uh, the uh, New Zealand still produces, I think, good closers because they're good you know, temperament-wise. Yeah. Uh, but the yeah the overall like obviously nobody's going to produce as many big hitters as India, uh, yeah. and then also turn them into anchors for some reason. <laughs> um, but like I don't think New Zealand turns their hitters into anchors. We go here. You're a good hitter, and we want to develop that side of your game. Yeah. And I think we also have to address the elephant in the room. If Jesse Ryder was still playing for New Zealand, he would be in this team. <laughs> Am I wrong? You're not wrong. But I think Is that... any player in the team other than... Uh, like, uh, any player in this team in for T20 better than Jesse Ryder right now? Probably At not. T20. Yeah. Probably not, no. <laughs> the, so it's the... Uh, so there's like a thing we do occasionally have things about talent, like and Colin Monroe as well. Like I don't know if Colin, I think Colin Monroe is a very good T20 player, and maybe at international level he's a bit more found out. Yeah. 
But I don't... I'd have to look at the stats. I still think Colin Monroe's so, like, consistent at domestic level and gets so many runs at, at a really good strike rate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree, I think. Colin Monroe is perhaps another one of the um, unlucky people that didn't seem to be picked for this World Cup. But I guess they had to make some some calls and, you know, you got to have some based on form and so if he's not I understand why Jesse Ryder is not in the team I'm no, not Jesse... saying the selectors should oh, have no. picked him no I, I I assumed that we all knew that one um, yeah yeah I mean the Jesse Ryder story is is, is now old I mean that's that boat sailed has he actually officially ago. retired in domestic level or is he still playing I think he's officially look... retired in domestic now yeah because he's still a guy who would sell like, if he's playing again for the Black Caps and, like, you know, Mount Manganui is a sellout. Yeah. Um, but the... Okay, so we... the uh, And maybe Finn Allen will develop into that player yeah, as well. Because yeah. he has shown a lot of... And Ra, Ravi Rachandran. So there is a pipeline of T20 talent coming up. It's just hard to gauge how good they are because you look at how good the West Indies pipeline of talent coming up. Like, we know this is a last dance squad, but West Indies have some exciting, talented players who are were unfortunately injured coming through the ranks. Yeah, yeah. And I think West Indies really have, like, used the CPL as both a developmental league and a league that's a finishing school that just turns their boys into men yeah, playing yeah. against... Like I think there's no doubt that CPL and PSL, what you can flip a coin or six one way half a dozen. They're the the second best T20 leagues in the world. Yeah. And the um, and then you've got your uh, yeah, the rest coming out from that. Uh, so the uh, so the West Indies, it's no surprise, and I think they're just always gonna have good white ball, like a good T20 side. Yeah, yeah, and maybe even like, and occasionally they'll have a really good ODI side too, and a Test side because they're, you know, cricket is a viable career, you know, in the West Indies, like for sports people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For that, and then I don't think, like, for example, the Blast is like is gonna be at the same level as the CPL is. Like, I think the West Indies, basically being the first adopters and adopting it well, have. Secured it like uh, West Indies cricket doesn't make at that point where they created the CPL didn't make more money than New Zealand cricket did, and it's not like the West Indies has more people than New Zealand does either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think the West Indies, like the population of all the islands put together, is something like eight, six, seven, eight million, something like that, six to eight million. Maybe. So you know. New Zealand could have totally set up a franchise league or, you know, yeah, yeah. offered stuff, but yeah, it just didn't happen. Yeah. And that's just life. Yeah, such is life. A little bit of that, I think, is just the geographical um, closeness to the, the big bash. And I, also, I guess, the timings of when the matches are on. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not ideal time for anywhere but Australia, and the Australians are going to be hanging out for their own league anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's a bit of timings about when it's on the year, so you don't quite get as prime time. I mean, 
over New Year Christmas is not a bad time to have a, a T20 league on anyway, but... Um, I feel like New Zealand could have easily made it like the way the New Zealand tennis, yeah, the tennis opens in New Zealand were for the Australian Open. People came yeah. to play in New Zealand because it was a practice tournament for yeah, yeah. the Grand was, Slam. Yeah, exactly. It was the the warm up tournament, right? You had a several warm up tournaments, and the Auckland ones is one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that could have been a, a good way of doing it as well as having you say getting people down first and, and enter it um, so that they had a, a warm-up before they headed into the, the big bash. Yeah, but I don't think there's a there's room for another big franchise league, especially since the Americans are coming in. And I yeah, think yeah. the US League will actually be quite good uh, eventually, and will make money yeah, and exactly. attract the players. So the... The current model of being a development, like, like New Zealand, like going forward, like I, it's fine. It'll be fine. The current model, but I think they need to align themselves with a big franchise league. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. It's, be it's the 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 Oceania Premier League, or even <laughs> just go like, how about we have a Super Bowl between the winners of the Super Smash and the Big Bash? Yeah. They can and, be a gateway into it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. It could even be a um, could be a game, sort of, as a warm up for the Big Bash. So it's the winners of the previous year's Big Bash versus the winners of this current year's Super Smash, right? So that yeah. it's it's before the Big Bash League starts, so it's in between the New Zealand the Super Smash and the Big Bash. The Super Smash finish straight into that. And then it could be a, a way of doing that as well. And it's like the, the opening game of the Big Bash or the pre-game, last pre-game of the Big Bash or something like that. So, but just ideas, really. Sure, sure. Eh, we'll see what they decide to do in the end, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, once again, I'm not sure if people are listening um, to this, you know, the... the uh, decision makers at the top of Australian cricket, New Zealand cricket. Um, you know, never know. Maybe they are listening. Maybe. Yeah. And you know that uh, Australian sports league having a New Zealand team is just tradition by now. Even Aussie Rules is thinking of having one. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It's just tradition now. They just have to do it. Are they really an Australian sports league if they don't have a New Zealand franchise? Exactly. And like, if the Australia, if the cricket, if the Big Bash gets a franchise in Papua New Guinea, you know the NRL are gonna be next. Yeah, yeah. Just like, look, 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 we're not, we're not letting cricket take our talent pool. Yeah, it's like, wait, Papua New Guinea's ours, man. Come on, what are you doing, Australian cricket? Pretty much. But yeah, I think that's all we have time for today. Yeah. So what? Uh, I hope you enjoyed our rants and our <laughs> fairly coherent analysis and our thoughts about the future of this wonderful, wonderful format of cricket, which I do really enjoy. Yeah. Like, I don't care what the quote-unquote purists say. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed. Gotcha. Bye. Catch you next time. <laughs>